Hello and welcome to the 10 Out of 10 podcast, an Adrian on the Line series where we discover what it takes to be a champion. In week four, the theme is humility, and I've made it confusing by having a conversation with another Ben, but this time it's Workman. I used to coach tennis with Ben back in the day. He's great fun, and anyone that knows him will agree that he loves a chat. He also loves his sport, so there aren't many better candidates for a podcast than this guy. I appreciate I probably hyped Ben up now, but it's a good thing that he's humble, and that's what we began talking about. First of all, I'm just going to start off the bat. What does humility mean to you in sport? I know, I know that you don't, well, you do play some sports, but yeah, what does it mean to you to be humble and have that humility about you when you take to whatever arena you're in? Humility is massively important because you can't go about thinking that you're the best. You can't go about thinking that you're going to walk through whoever you face. And if it's a tennis match, you can't think you're going to walk through your opponent. You have to expect some challenge and some obstacles. And that comes with keeping your feet on the ground and being able to work and consistently work and improve. Because as soon as, as, soon as you lose that humility and you lose that sort of idea of being humble, your head gets above the clouds, you think you're better than you are, you think you're better than God and you start to, you might not work as hard, you might not have the dedication anymore, you might lose interest. Um, so being humble is massively important in sport because it, it it keeps you focused on the task at hand, it keeps you focused on what you're meant to be doing, where the goal is and what you want to achieve later in life and potentially in your sport. You know, everyone's going to have setbacks uh, and it applies to both sport and in and in, in, in life but in, in sport it's it's so key and we, we saw it last week with uh, Brighton Arsenal and the Premier League you know there was the reports of uh, Neil Mope at the end said Arsenal needed to learn to have to get some humility and become humble because they weren't you know there were certain players that were bragging about how much money they were on and how much better they were and they're at a certain level and Brighton at a different level and we saw what happened they lost their head they lost their cool they lost their composure and they ended up losing the game. You're absolutely right there. And I think that a really important thing, uh, especially for young athletes to consider, is that once you get to a certain place, say you get to the Arsenal Youth Academy, for example, just because you've got Arsenal on your T-shirt, that doesn't mean that you've made it. There's still a long way. And a lot of the greatest people in sport and in life they're constantly looking for ways in which they can improve and if you have that mentality that you've already made it there's nowhere that you can improve no, nowhere further than the ceiling that you've already reached to go then then that that limits you in terms of your progress in your career so it's essential um, that you have that humility you're right we got straight into it there but that's the way it's always been between us now Last week we talked about confidence. Here, Ben and I talk about how to stay balanced between believing in yourself and keeping yourself motivated to work hard. Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was finding the balance because ultimately you do have to be humble and you do have to have your feet on the ground as you have said. But I was speaking to another Ben, <laughs> Ben Page, about being confident and composed. And of course, you need to have a level of confidence 
if you're going to go into any competition. Where do you think that balance can come from? And, and how do you think someone can come to that balance? Because it's a very difficult thing to do. Well, you have to be confident in everything you do. You can't go into something half-hearted and think that, that you might not get it. And you, might, you have to go 100%. You know? But there, there is a line between confidence and sort of being overly confident, being too cocky. If you're overly confident, you eliminate the fear of failure. You don't really care, you know. And that, for me, fear of, fear of failure is a big driving factor in what you do. Because you obviously don't want to fail. And in sports, it is. You hear it a lot where it's, I just don't want to lose. I can't lose, you know. And it's that fear of failure. As soon as you lose that, you know, then it doesn't really matter how the result turns out doesn't really matter how things go or what way they go because you you're not really bothered you become too sure of yourself in a way and there that i guess the the line comes and the balance comes in in just your mentality on how you approach things you can't be too high and you can't be too low you have to be somewhere in the middle you just, you just but some people some people work on a higher confidence level than others and that's just how they do it you see it a lot in snooker how uh Ronnie O'Sullivan's mind changed as soon as he started working with a sports psychologist. And a lot of people work with sports psychologists to get their mind in the optimum range of either eliminating the fear of fear <laughs> and so they can play freely. And some people need that so they can play better because they're scared of fear and failure. You could see it in exams, can't you? And, and, and revision for exams. I know it's a bit of a trivial matter, uh, well, every, everyone goes through these things, so it's something that's completely relevant to people. But every, everyone prepares for them differently. You know, I personally like to sit on my own and read through things and just write notes and write out practice papers and all that sort of stuff. Some people don't lo- like that. Some people like to be in a big group and just bounce questions off each other. So you can't, one per- you can't dictate to one person how they should run their life and how they should prepare mentally for things. But there needs to be a balance. You know, I'm not a massive fan of his personally, but Cristiano Ronaldo he is extremely confident. He oozes confidence. But his humility comes from that hard work, the grind that he puts in every day, the drive to get better. You know, he's 33, 34, 35, somewhere in his mid-30s. He could easily coast to the end of his career but his drive and his his drive comes from wanting to be the best full time, to be the ultimate professional and succeed, and that's his mentality of he's confident in his ability, but he also is a hard worker. I think the word that Lewis Hamilton uses a lot is being centered. That's a really good way of finding it because of course everyone's center will be different. Finding equilibrium here comes from understanding yourself. This is a difficult concept, but if you can take the time to master it, you can be powerful. Next, we touch upon sports psychology. You spoke about how you can't dictate how someone should choose to be confident or humble, and that's for someone to find for themselves, and I completely agree with you there. With that being said, what would be the benefit of a sports psychologist? Is that just simply to assist and coach for people to find that, that centre? Yeah, I think that's the job of them, isn't it? It's, they'll, be, they'll get hired by somebody, by a football club or a, a professional like Ronnie O'Sullivan, like we spoke earlier, and they'll talk to them and they'll work out their mind, how they think, how they go about playing the game, and they might touch up things and give them tasks or activities or whatever to do to get their mind challenged so they're in that mental headspace. 
they won't come in well the best ones won't come in with a one sort of idea on how they're going to do it and if you can't conform to that then you're done you know the best ones will find out what makes you tick center you get yourself in your own headspace and if you want if you like Ronnie Sullivan sort of play with a freestyle and you just want to be Ronnie and you just want to be yourself they'll get them into that mindset you know but some some people don't like a sports psychologist they don't like how they talk they don't like how they feel because they feel they're too involved and they lose that freedom that they like they lose that regiment that they like because they feel somebody else is interrupting and you know it's not for everybody because not everybody will agree with it um there's been numerous sports teams over the years that i've had i think liverpool one of the first ones to uh bring in a full-time sports psychologist the the all blacks do it definitely there'll be teams with it there'll be people within the all blacks within mercedes within liverpool that simply don't get on with it they don't like people interfering they don't like this way of they prefer to get work and do their own work on their own and mentally prepare on their own and that that's just a personable thing you know these sports psychologists aren't definitive they're not a definitive way of going about it and they're not a be all and end all that if you don't have them you won't be mentally prepared because that that's just simply you know not true because there are so many people over the years and there are so many teams now that probably don't have them so many people that are successful that don't have them you know i can't imagine nick kyrgios has a sports psychologist i'm not sure he has a coach Exactly, but he's still one of the best tennis players in the world, so he doesn't need that. Just a side note, I think Nick Kyrgios, if if this coronavirus hadn't happened, this could have been his biggest year, so I, I think he's one to watch for the future. He certainly came of age with all that was going on in Australia earlier this year with helping out with the fire services and, and just, just becoming more mature. He, he, see, he seems like he has. He seems like he has, because before he'd be, you know, there was a Adria tournament with Djokovic in which Djokovic invited a bunch of top players and they tested positive and for coronavirus and it was very silly. They didn't adhere to any sort of social guidelines and they had parties and they were dancing, you know, and they were completely void of any sort of social conscience. And for once, you know, this is Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios stood up and said, somebody needs to be held accountable. Somebody needs to change because somebody has put their lives, some people's lives at risk. And they're being completely responsible to the general public with the voice and the platform that they have. And they've completely voided it. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe a year or two ago, we would have got a rasher response from Kyrgios. Or he might have been even involved. I don't know. He might, he might have been involved. But, you know, he seems to have stood up for himself and he seems to have stood up for something that's right and used his platform that he has to try and hold people accountable like you said a bit of maturity has crept into him for the sounds of it <clears throat> and I, I like him he seems like a very nice man he seems like a very he's a brilliant tennis player and he has all the tools it's just maybe he was a bit young and and some people some people are, are brash when they're young and i think he's one of those people but you know he's not only did he stand up to Djokovic, the world number one and potentially one of the most influential people, athletes in the world with the standing that he has and the platform that he has. He stood up to the US Open because the US Open's going ahead at the end of August. Um, and him and Nadal, but he stood up and said, why is this going on? This is not what the world needs at the minute. The world doesn't need tennis. And no way am I flying from Australia, from one infected country, 
to a highly infected bit in New York to fly back for two weeks to then be quarantined for two weeks. Like, what's the point in that? You know, and the some some, <clears throat> some of these big leagues and companies are looking for a way to make money during this, and that's fair enough because they have to make money for this. But like he said, there's no need for it. You don't need to do this. This is a necessity that people need. And like you said, maybe a year ago, if this happened a year ago, he might have joined. He might have said, yeah, okay. But he, he seems to have matured and he, you know, he seems to have got he seems to have got in a better headspace than what he was previously. I love watching Nick Kyrgios and I think he's a good guy too. I can't wait to see him back on the tour properly because it would be great to see him grab a ground slam at some point. He certainly has the talent. I spoke about Frank Williams in my blog post this week and how he created a winning formula in his team. Ben then puts forward a fine example of a leader who breathed humility into his side to ultimately make them champions. Well, we, we do keep speaking about the word culture and I think that that's really important when you look at someone like Frank Williams and his team. Um, the word to describe Frank Williams, you, you could talk of him as the visionary and he would be able to motivate the people around him, which is vital within a leader. The likes of Mercedes and Red Bull, they, they are there, and Renault, you could say as well, they're there to promote a product that they have outside of Formula One, essentially, whereas McLaren, Ferrari, Williams, they are race teams. Yes, McLaren and Ferrari sell cars outside, but that's that's not their main focus. Their main focus is to go and race Formula One cars. And I, I think having that is so important, but also the ambition. Um, ambition was a word that constantly came up with Patrick Head, who uh, founded the team along with Frank Williams all, all these years ago. And having that ambition and that way to, to work with the people, it, it, was, it means that they can punch above their weight and they've done that continually. So they joined in 1977. Their first world championship was with Alan Jones in, in 1980, I believe. So only a few years later, which is almost unheard of with new teams, that, that just speaks about the success that Williams has had. And the fact that Frank Williams has given that longevity um, through his fighting spirit. He nearly died back in um, the 80s with a car accident that he had. The doctors spoke about potentially turning off his life support, but it's that racing spirit again. It's that human side of him that, that means that he is focused on winning and he knows that it's not going to be easy. He knows that you've got to earn what you um, are rewarded with and it has, it has meant longevity within the sport. So I think that's really important. I also think that that kind of culture... From what I understand, it exists within Liverpool, certainly within the last year. I, I was having a look at the spending that Liverpool Football Club have done in comparison to their uh, counterparts and and also the winners of the Premier League over the last 10 years or so. And I think the last time that someone spent as little as Liverpool, it wasn't Leicester, it was Manchester United more than a decade ago, which, which says a lot about what your man that you're bringing forward has done in terms of 
remaining on the ground and encouraging the team to put the work in do you want to introduce who we're going to talk about ben i'm sure most people can guess by now i've got i've got a couple of people to sort of show example of this sort of winning culture this hum- humility that you need to succeed i guess the f- the first one is is a uh, jürgen klopp you know he came he came into liverpool in 2015 when liverpool were 10th and they had a terrible run of form brendan rogers has sort of run his course um and there was only really he came in and he he came from this a working class team in dortmund and he moved to another working class team in the sense of the city that they're from in liverpool and he instilled a winning culture in the sense that they're going to work hard, they're going to fight for everything. If they give 110% and they lose, that's not a problem. you know. And he told the team that everything they're going to do, they've got to do for the people of the city, they've got to do for the people that are sitting in the stands, and they're going to represent Liverpool. They're not representing themselves, they're not representing the football club. They're there for the city, they're there for the people, and they have to put in a performance, they have to work hard, because these people, you know, they pay however much money a lot of money every week to come and see them so you've got to give them something to scream about to shout about to support to be proud of it's about he invoked that image a lot of a of being proud of the city that you play for of being proud to put on that shirt every week so he almost took all of the ego out of it and it certainly shows he took the players and the players' ego and he almost removed that from the equation and said, you're now a, you're a team, you know, you're here, you're here to win, you're a team. And you saw that, I guess, with the selling of Coutinho. Coutinho wanted to move on to bigger and better things, he wanted to win titles and that's what, he's, you know, that's what he said in his Barcelona press conference or whatever, I want to win titles, I want to win the big things. And, you know, Klopp said... It was a shame he didn't stick around. Exactly. Klopp said, you can either stay here and you'll be a club legend forever and they'll build a statue of you. Or you can move and you'll be a nobody somewhere else. And that exact, that's exactly what happened. He realised that his ego got too big. And so we moved him on because he wanted something bigger. His eyes were somewhere else. So so Klopp realised the ego had got too yeah, big. Yeah, it was... And it was going to be. It was always going to be. Once, once you're a player and you're like, "Oh, I want to move," or Barcelona are coming for me, you know, you, the dedication that you have is always going to. It's not going to be there. It's going to drop off. I think Klopp realised that, and I think he decided that he could make his team better because with that 145 million or whatever he got, yeah, he bought uh, Van Dijk and Allison, which transformed Liverpool, and it took maybe an egotistical person or someone who had a better ego or what didn't want to be at the club no longer had that pride for the club he took him out of the equation he created an image that they're fighting for the club and you saw it in in the in the celebrations this past week where he said that this was built off Kenny Dalglish's spirit obviously a great Liverpool player and off the legs of Steven Gerrard and he claimed that this is a football club that deserves to be where it's at and it didn't really have much to do with him. He was just there at the time and he rejected the idea that there should be a statue of him. He rejected the idea that he should be there for life because of what he's done. That's humility exemplified. He could have very easily taken the credit for him and gone, I'm a mastermind, you know. I've done it. I've brought on the title after 30 years and there should be a statue and all this sort of stuff. 
but he didn't. He took him. He took himself back, and he he gave up. Not sort of congratulated people and gave props to other people that deserved it. And he took himself out of the situation. His main thing is this thing called the Gagan pressing, which is a big whole. The whole team presses the opposition. You have to be part of the team. You know, do Man City have better players than Liverpool? Yeah, in some positions, that's you know that's undeniable. You know, De Bruyne for me is the best midfielder in the Premier League. One of the one of the one of the best in the world, easily. And he he might get into the Liverpool team. Could he work under Klopp? Does he fit Klopp's team? Just because he's a better individual doesn't necessarily fit the team that somebody's trying to f- create. Because just because you have that title of maybe the best player in your position in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to put the same work in as the players around you. And you you've got you've got quite a few players. Is it Robertson that that was dropped by? Uh, Celtic. Yeah, you have. Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. There's so many people in that team that come from a humble background and just work. You know, Jordan Henson was signed for twelve million from Sunderland, a decision that loads of people questioned at the time. And in 2012, he was nearly sold from Liverpool to Fulham for Clint Dempsey, which would have been a, a huge mistake looking back. Um... Looking back on it, but at the time, it probably would have made sense. You know, but he decided to reject that move and he worked hard and he stuck to his roots and he just grafted. You know, Robertson, like you said, was dropped from Celtic and then played... F- he was in third division, third division, third Scottish division. Yeah, exactly. And then moved to uh, Hull and got signed from Hull and had to work his way up. You know, Alisson started from a team in Brazil and had to work his way up. You know, Minamino was in Japan... And then he moved to Salzburg and finally got his move. Salah went from you know Basel to Chelsea, and then from Chelsea to Roma, and then from Roma to Liverpool. Mane's story is just incredible. The fact that he moved from, you know, he moved out of his hometown from where he was at a young age to go and play football so he could support his family, and then he moved to France. Somehow got to France, got picked up, didn't have a phone, didn't know what it was, could couldn't use the internet. Sent all of his pretty much all of his wages back home to support his family. Went to Southampton, you know, and then made it, and is now building hospitals and schools in his home village, much like Salah's doing in Egypt. And that 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 goes to what we're talking about with a champion in sport, because true champions, they they do have that idea of the bigger picture, don't they? They they don't just focus on the trophies or the goals. They they're focusing on how they can make a difference and what their platform means. Klopp's turned 30 million players into 130 million players. That's out what a good job he's done. And he gives all of it to his players. He says, it's all them, I don't do anything. It's all, you know, he gives all them the credit, he gives them all the credit. Um, and they and they just, they just work hard. They're an epitome of working hard. I love that. Win it for the city. It's difficult not to like Jurgen Klopp. And those personal skills are why he's taken his team to the top. From the world of football, we head to the world of rugby. Warren Gatland, like Eddie Jones, who we spoke about with Jimmy, has seen and done most things in world rugby. He's the former coach of Wales, and as a Welshman, you can't really blame Ben for bringing him up. Gatland embraces the underdog role, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So Gatland was uh, Wales head coach for a number of years, and... uh left the role 
he's been Lions head coach for a couple of Lions tours. Uh, he's going to set the record and they next year when they go and face, I think it's Australia or South Africa, um, he's going to set the record for the number of head coaches of tours that they've done because they frequently change them every few years. Um, he's now coach of a team called the Chiefs in the Super Rugby down in New Zealand. So he played for the Chiefs. He's from there. Uh, they're based in Hamilton, a place called Waikato. Um, he played there. He set the most appearances in their club record, you know, a while back. That's where he's from. He, he's like the Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, he was born and bred there. Team. And that's, he's, he's coached there before and he's gone back there. Um, and down in New Zealand at the minute, they've got a competition called the Super Rugby Aotearoi, which is just a little cup that they've got between all the New Zealand-based teams. His team have not had the best of starts. They've played three rounds of these games so far and they've lost all of them. And they're, they're missing some big key players, so I won't get into it. But, you know, in the first game, they lost by the two points or three points or something like that, a very close margin. And his son actually scored the winning points for the opposition. So, you know... You you could you could be angry, you could be upset, you could be frustrated with it. Uh, and simply in his post-match press conference, he said, look, he's a good kid, whatever, he did well. But we, as a team, and again, he, he referred to them as we, not as himself, not as the boys, not we as a team, everybody from the coaching staff to the players, need to learn from this fixture, we need to go over it, we need to learn and understand where we went wrong to improve. And that's been the consistent message throughout. And it was the consistent message throughout the World Cup last year, where, he, where Wales did quite well, getting to, I think, semi-finals. You know, we need to do this. We need to learn and we need to improve. And it's never about what, I don't know, the scrum half needs to do or the fly half needs to do or this player needs to do. It's about what can we do to improve and that constant level of improvement. You know, there was uh, Wales were underdogs going into the World Cup. He never once said, "We are like we're better than you guys say we are. We're going to win it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that." Uh, he just simply accepted the role of the underdog and said, "Okay, that's fine with us. That it doesn't matter to us what what you guys think we are, what the outside world, what out, people outside of our bubble believe we are, and how well we're going to do because we know." what we are as a team and we will work hard and that's what you need in a coach and I say it's more of a coach thing than a player thing because you need that security that humility that drive that work ethic from the highest rungs of the team of the club of the national setup whoever you are in order for it to filter down because if the boss isn't working hard what's to say that every other player is going to follow that's the importance, as well as a leader, to understand how effective the media is. You have to keep a consistent message. You can't go to the dressing room. You can't go to the dressing room and be like, lads, we've got to work hard, we've got to learn from this, and then go to the media and go, oh, well, mighty unlucky boys, we should have won that one. As soon as you start sending mixed messages, you start losing people, people start believing one thing, and you split the dressing room, and then you just lose it. You have What you said was true. You need to have that consistent message because then the respect is there and and no one feels alienated. And, and that's really important, especially if you're going to ask those players to keep working. Even though they're the best in the world at what they do, 
everyone can always do better. And if you're a team, you need to rely on one another to do that. Although the the very best are self-motivated and very good at that. Yeah, but even even the even the best need a push from somebody to get themselves going. Exactly. The the best individual players, if you like, they do need that that arm around them to to say we're in this together and it's not like right it's all on you son and that that is the essential nature of keeping the message consistent in the media as well as in the dugout or behind the scenes if people aren't taking you seriously then use that to your advantage you may just catch them by surprise we conclude in a similar vein to the way that we began ben talks about how he applies humility in his own life you know, I'm I'm never gonna be them. I'll never be. I'll never have the talent they will. Um, I'll never be a professional footballer or the best rugby player in the world. But what you what you can learn from it is you can learn in people's not necessarily failures, but the tough times that they go through. You know, there's numerous tough tough times over the world from people where they'll suffer an injury or they'll suffer a big loss and they'll come back big, bigger and better than ever. And that's because they have a dream, they have a goal that they want to re- achieve. And you only achieve that goal or that dream through hard work. And if you don't work hard, you will not achieve it. It's just simple as that. So it's it's a motivation sort of thing more than anything else. Yeah. For me, humility is not only not bragging about yourself, not going, oh, I'm the best ever, I'm the best there ever was, all this sort of stuff. Humility is also about hard work. It's about dedication. It's about drive. And It's those next steps. Yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, Humility is not getting ahead of yourself, thinking, oh, I've got this job, or I've got this promotion, or I've got this, I've got that, and whatever. Because it's, cause as soon as, if you don't get it, it'll come crashing down, won't you? So, it's all, humility for me is about not only being humble and being respectful, it's about hard work and driving yourself, picking yourself up, moving and going. Because you could easily not, you know. And that's something that everyone should be aware of, especially in the tough times that the world is going through at the moment uh we're all human we're always going to have those days where we can't be the best in the world but it's good to keep on looking uh, uh, within yourself how you can improve because you you never know how far that can take you so i think that's a really nice message to wrap up on ben uh, uh, how it's is a motivation but it's not just about being nice with the opposition is not just about thinking you're not the best. It's about taking an action and moving forward. So I like that. Thank you so much for speaking to me, Ben. I appreciate it. That's right. I've enjoyed it. Humility is about hard work and dedication. I think he's got a point there. Let me know what humility means to you in the comments below. While you're doing that, I want to once again thank Ben. Your passion showed and I know I won't be the only one in welcoming it. And to you listening at home, thank you again. I appreciate those of you that are sending kind messages too. It means a lot. Don't forget to subscribe to my website, ajontheline.com or AJ on the Line on Apple Podcasts for the latest updates. You can also follow me on Instagram at adamjw44. You've been listening to the 10 out of 10 podcast on ajontheline.com with your host, Adam Williams.